Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian and I am joined by James Rundle. Hello. So this week we're going to be touching on a wide range of topics. We, we were hoping to have a guest, um, but that one's going to be pushed back just a little bit. Um, but we do have some internal news. Also, James is going to be going down to FIA Boca. Um, so he's going to talk a little bit about what to expect from down there, maybe what he's going to be looking for. Um, FINRA was selected as, was officially named the uh, plan processor for the CAT. So we'll quickly hit on that since we've been talking a lot about that subject, but won't spend too much time since we've uh, bled lots of ink and uh, words on the subject already. Yeah. Um, start off with, though, just really quickly some house in-house stuff. The Women in Technology and Data Awards were announced on Friday, was it? It was Friday, yeah, in London. Friday in London. Um, so we have the post up. We'll also link to it in this story. Uh, if you go to waterstechnology.com, though, uh, it'll be probably the lead story if you're listening to this on a Monday. It's quite well-timed, actually, for our conference events department, actually on International Women's Day as well. Yes, yes. Considering they like scheduling stuff on you know the day after Thanksgiving and U.S. presidential elections. Yes, this one, uh, this one had better timing, certainly. Uh, the two highest profile categories, I would imagine, are the women of uh, the woman of the year. Uh, that went to Beatrice Martin of UBS, um, who we wrote a profile about last year, I think. It was right? summer last year, I think. Yeah, summer last year. And the lifetime achievement award went to Bank of America's Kathy Besant, whom I profiled way back in 2011. Soon mm. after she took over. She became CIO, CEO. She had she has had a, a bunch of different roles at Bank of America in her career there. So she's actually um, she couldn't be there, but she recorded like a really nice video nice. Uh, acceptance thing, which is on the website, and you can see it in that story. So very it's cool. Watching. So yeah, if you're interested in that, click on that. And then you know this is the one award I guess in the industry that you know other publications certainly have that recognize the efforts and talents of women in their respective industry. This one, you know, I think does a good job. Does a deep dive of. Um, you know, as far as like programmer, you know, up, up and coming programming, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So also, if you're just looking for some talent to poach, go and check out the <laughs> list and uh, see what they have there, you know. Um, all right. So we got that. Also, some big news for Waters technology as a whole, which I will leave James to describe. But um, this issue coming up of Waters magazine will be a bit of a redesign, a bit of a new look, thicker magazine. James, why don't you explain a little bit about thinking here? Yeah, um, so those of you who have been long-time subscribers uh, will know that we used to run a number of print products. Uh, we generally delineated them between tech and data, um, which you know just doesn't make any sense anymore. So we made the decision sort of late last year that we were going to bring the two titles together into one product. Um, inside Data Management, which was the old legacy, Inside Market Data and Inside Reference Data titles, and uh, Waters, which was obviously buy-side technology and sell-side technology. Um, so the first issue of the merged kind of accumulation of those efforts is coming out next month. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a beast. I think the current page counts like 110 pages or something. Sure. Um, and it's going to contain everything that you had in IDM in terms of that sort of rich data coverage and everything you expect from Waters as well in terms of our in-depth uh, investigative work and our long-form um, technology pieces you might notice a few differences so we're playing around a bit with formats um you know historically we've always been very strict about you know features are four pages cover profiles are five pages news stories are one page and that's it we're playing around a bit seeing what works now some stories will be two pages some will be six pages some will be four pages um but key will be that it's all online first 
as well. So everything you read in the magazine will have run online at some point or in some form, first of all. Uh, so it's very exciting. We've um, we've added, well, I mean, I see it as this because I'm from Waters, but we've added all of the talent that was on IDM editorially into our newsroom. So we're now bigger. Um, we're organised along geography rather than sort of title or brand. So we have editors and reporters in London, New York, Hong Kong, all working to provide sort of 24-6 um, global coverage. Um, we don't do seven. The Sabbath is... Uh... Well, exactly, yes, it's the resting day. I mean, we even do the six really, so it's actually 24-5. <laughs> it's, uh, um, but what this means is that hopefully, um, from our perspective, we're going to be putting out content that's more relevant to you guys. Um, we're also kind of refocusing our coverage angle a bit as well. We've talked about this in the past, but this is really the first time that it's been put into practice. You know, before we were always a mix of so 50% markets coverage and 50% technology coverage. And we're really going full bore on um, on the technology side of things now. Obviously, it's still going to be relevant to capital markets, particularly wholesale institutional capital markets. We're not going to start going into retail or anything like that. Um, but what this means is that you'll, it's probably what you ask for in our reader surveys and everything else. It's uh, our attempt to go a bit deeper on the tech side of things, go a bit more in the weeds, a bit more technical, really take a kind of, I think what we want to be ideally is, is the wired of the capital markets. Um, and hopefully you'll start seeing that in how we approach our journalism and, and what we provide to you. But yeah, I mean, this will be hitting doormats next month. I'm really keen to Not hear. that we deliver it through in that fashion where they actually land on a doormat, but sure. Well, yeah, it will land on coffee tables uh, in <laughs> office reception areas um, next month. Again, everything will be online. Um, hopefully you're starting to see changes in our news coverage and, and our features as well. So I'm super keen to... Um, hear your feedback um, I was the editor of Waters I'm now taking a step down to US editor Jamie Hyman who was the editor of IDM is now UK editor Wei Shen Wong is our Asia editor and, and the top dog is Max Bowie who most of you know who's been around the industry for many many years uh, he's our managing editor so if you have any comments suggestions queries send through to any of us yeah um, and I'll just throw in just one thing that I think is important to keep in mind a lot of times when you hear about moves like this it's uh it's it means the company's going under yeah. and they're they're, they're, fig- they're trying this is the last straw and they're trying to figure out how to survive uh that is not at all the case here there, there won't be there are no layoffs uh involved in this in fact we're hoping that we'll be able to um that if we do this well um that we'll be growing the staff actually in the number of reporters that we have yeah. um we've certainly have had in the past you know after 2008 certainly in 2010 you know if, if you were in familiar with the legacy incisive, how it used to be broken up with a publication called Dealing with Technology, there was Buy Side Technology, the magazine, big mm-hmm. thick uh, magazine back in the day. So we certainly have had those kind of downsizing events. This isn't that. This is, again, as James mentioned before, it truly makes no sense to separate technology and data when everybody's using, te- you know, back in the day when Waters, there, there was clear delineation, I feel like. That, that's not what the readers are saying anymore, that you know we want to read these data stories, we want to read these technology stories, we want to understand. And as James says, you know, we want to be the Wired magazine, the pop side magazine of, you know, of this space, of the capital markets uh, fintech space, I guess, and also have a bit of a nature magazine feel to it where there's going to be some really, really hefty stories. And by bringing together the newsroom this way, you know, we were all kind of doing our own little separate thing. Now we'll all be focused on one publication. Thus, we can hopefully provide much deeper dive 
um, stories into subjects that you want to hear about. Yeah, and, and, and to your point as well, I mean, again, this was something that was driven by the newsroom. Um, you know, you and I have spent the last two years of our careers trying to convince everyone else that this is a good idea. So yeah. it's uh, it's not a sign of weakness anyway. It's um, it's 100% editorially driven. So hopefully you enjoy it. Speaking of signs of weaknesses, mm. Fenro was announced as the... <laughs> A seamless transition, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's not waste too much breath on this. Like, you know, they these guys just didn't bother telling anyone. They just put out a quiet press release on their website. We all knew it was coming. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody had said it was going to be Fenrir immediately. I mean, there was no one else it could have been, really. I mean, unless they decided to do some crazy consortium or something like that. Yeah. This was the route that had to be taken. But just ballsless to put that out. You know, without you know any sort of big to do or anything like that, just quietly put it up on the website right. and then just walk away. Because they made such a big deal of it by leaking it to the journal in the first place, you would have thought that they'd make a big song and dance about Finra being signed up. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's just crazy, and you know, it's just this weird cone of silence again around it. This yeah. is the thing. So we got in touch with the people, and we we're just like, "Come on, like, okay, great, you've announced Finra now." Now we're not talking about stuff that may or may not be that we have to verify 10 goddamn times before we can even print it because we have to be careful, even though you know that we're right. Um, <laughs> you know, what are the details? What, what's happening now? Are you going to build your internology? Are you going to use CSS? Nada. Nothing. Yeah. Well, we, can't talk. we haven't got anything to say at the moment. Really? You've got nothing. Yeah. And until you yeah, got... Yeah. That, that's the approach I'm going to take it on. That's the look I'm going to take it. And that's not just me being, you know, skeptical journalist or anything like that. That's the industry. The people I did talk about, we, you know, I had this email thread going through with uh, some people and just laughing about the fact of, yeah, they, they really want this to go quietly under the table because they're they're truly not sure how the hell this is going to go. You know, it's just going to become just, you know, cat plus or oats plus, you know, stuff like that. Well, I don't think, I think they announced it on Wednesday and no one actually noticed until Monday, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the was, news it was, it was quiet. It's, it was very, very uh, yeah. good. So, ballsless act, as far as I'm concerned, and... When you do it that way, you're telling the market, you're telling the people that the industry participants that you really don't want to talk about this right now. And so there shouldn't be any confidence. The industry should have no confidence in you right now. That's the way I look at it. It might be a bit of a harsh take, it's my opinion. I think it's the way the industry looks. I mean, yeah. if you look outside of the SROs and you look outside of um, you know the people who are involved with building it, when I speak to the broker dealers, oh, I'm just like, what the hell is going on with this thing? Like, I don't get it. Like, what the hell? So, you know, a lot of work to do, guys. Yep. Have fun. Yeah. Um, Mia will be calling you. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Since we're done with the cat now. Until yeah. she goes on holiday again. And I think you guys ain't going to have nothing for a couple of years of uh, uh, substance. Indeed. I could be wrong. Speaking of... Speaking of... Balls, I'm going substance. to the beach. <laughs> 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 Leave the transitions to me here, James. I'm okay. sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah. The student uh, has not become the master. Yeah. <laughs> so, James will be heading down to FIA Boca Yep. Um, next, uh, this week. Uh, so, we're recording this on a Monday. This will be up today, Monday. Uh, James flying down Tuesday. We'll get down there and uh, we'll be down there through the event. The event runs, so is it, the kickoff keynote is Tuesday? It's Tuesday in the afternoon. It's kind of weird. Like, it's a day shorter this year yeah. than it was last year. Yeah. Um, and I think people are getting really confused all over by this because they're just like, wait, the pool party's on the second day, not the first day, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's generally how you mark your time at Boca by the events they have in the evening because sure. everything else is too busy, right? You've been, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Tuesday is the opening keynote. Um and then a full day of program on Wednesday, and then Thursday is kind of like a weird half day that 
sort of finishes at one o'clock, but doesn't really because everyone's now having meetings on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's kind of a bit strange, really. Um, interesting content as well. I think last year was very, very tech heavy. Uh, and last year was my first Boker I went to. Um, and I was actually surprised it, it was effectively a technology conference. Nothing to do really with markets yeah. or anything. And when like. I'd, been, I'd been down the three previous years and it had grown into a tech conference where, you know, the, the risk reporters were even coming up being like, what does this mean about cloud? And stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, oh, wow, you guys are actually covering Well, I mean, I was actually filing stories for risk last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's... it's uh, um, and even though it does say risk on my press badge, because FIA just seems to refuse to change that, even though I haven't yeah. worked for risk for four years now, yeah, three years. It um, it's fine. There are a couple of tech highlights, I guess, um, So, or tech and data highlights. There's a panel on the impact of ESG issues on listed derivatives, um, which should be quite interesting. That's, you can uh, read a great feature about, about how fixed income traders are increasingly using ESG data which the ESG data market for fixed income specifically is very shallow, mm-hmm. but it's growing, James, as you can read about in a great, great feature by one of our reporters. I can't remember who it was. So. Uh, yeah, it'd be one of the stringers we keep on for out of sympathy. But hey, this is your third part right now. This is ESG and listed derivatives. Soon we're going to get onto go. options. It's going to be good. Uh, but that's got ABN Amro, uh, Rostam Benham from the CFTC, Matt Chamberlain um, from LME, uh, ADM Investor Services, and... Uh, Vasilis uh, Vigoitis from Urex, so it should be really good, I think. Um, there's also a there's a weird panel on blockchain um, on the last day, one of the very last panels, like going from pilot to production, and that's Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, CFTC, um, DCCC, Axony, somehow Bath & Systems got on there, uh, VAKT as well. Um, and I think that's kind of emblematic, the kind of the, I guess, the approach you're taking to that blockchain panel of how tech is being treated at this conference. So last year, everyone and their dog was talking about AI, blockchain, cloud, emerging technologies, how tech is a business. This year now, it's like, oh no, we've actually got some serious shit to deal with in terms of like margin requirements and CCP risk and what have you. So let's still talk about tech, but let's talk about how it can actually help us mm-hmm. um, rather than kind of what it could do for us. Like, how can it help me now? Um, which is, I guess, is a more mature approach, right? And it's kind of more like a, along the lines of what we want to hear. Like everyone sat on a panel saying, what is artificial intelligence and what is sure. the blockchain and how can it be used to treat cancer? Um, no one wants to sit through that anymore. Yeah. Everyone wants to see like, okay, cool. Get someone up there who's actually put a blockchain system on their reference data desk or is actually using it in KYC or whatever. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this panel can actually, they're going to talk about from pilot to production. Well, let's see. They better have some actual real world discussion about production environments right. and true rollouts rather than, you know, use cases, uh, a proof of concept, stuff like that. You know, actual, true, live trading. Let's see it. Let's hear it from Goldman. Let's hear it from the others. Here. Exactly. And it's interesting, actually, the, the crypto panel, which is just afterwards, is now, like, definitively um, industry people on there. It's not, like, kind of random startup prop shops or whatever. It's mm. Coinbase is on there, as you'd expect. Um, but it's also CBO Global Markets. It's the CME group. It's uh, the Intercontinental Exchange here on it. And, and not kind of... The fly by night, um, you know, crypto prop firms from Chicago and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it should be an interesting um, conference. If you see me down there, feel free to say hello. Um, I'll be running around like a blue ass fly for most of the day, but um, you know, happy to grab a beer, like or whatever. A what? Like a blue ass fly. A blue ass fly. Yeah, that's. Uh, what does that mean? That's a British idiom. Just you know, running around. Why would a fly have a blue ass? I don't know how these things come about, Tony. I'm not a <laughs> etymologist, or you know. <laughs> Do you get the joke? Etymologist, see, like, you yeah. know, studying insects and also words. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
Oh, one of these days. I'm just gonna... It's going to be good that we're going to have a week apart. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. This is the best thing about poker. I get to leave New York and it's <laughs> snow, and I also get to not have to sit with you like all day, every day. Good. I'm just kidding. I'm really going to miss you. I miss you too. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay. And then, so, yeah, that's about all we got. There's going to be a lot of uh, James is going to be filing stories. So, obviously, if you care about what's going on down there, uh, as far from a technology perspective, where yeah. the publication to come to, um, Risk will have all the other boring stuff that they do. Rob McKenzie Smith will be down there. Yeah, but, and also, if you have an announcement about technology, don't just throw out a press release because no one's going to read it, right? Yeah. Just come to me, talk to me, and we'll do a proper treatment of it. And yeah. I'll sit down and chat with you. You know, um, there's nothing more frustrating than booking in a meeting with someone at like four o'clock in the afternoon and then just seeing their press release land in everyone's inbox at like 9 a.m. London time. No, we and don't, care like, anymore. don't care anymore. Exactly. I'm going to cancel that meeting. Yeah. So. James is um, not going to waste his time. He's got enough to write up down there. He's not going to waste his time doing a press release write-up. Okay? Yeah. So just exactly. be, be smart with your PR here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I love it when – that's what I do love about it. But I, maybe they think that, like, people are like, oh, well, I got to really pay attention to the press release, the, the, the newswire here. Yeah. It's like you just get drowned out so quickly because there's so much news that comes out. Yep. I, I, I don't understand why you don't play out a week before, week after, whatever it is. You know, I – Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, all right. Let's, uh, you know, we haven't had a chance to discuss, you know, some things. And for me, the most important thing that has happened um, <laughs> really in the year of 2019, yep. the year of our Lord, is season three of True Detective. And it was just spectacular, wasn't it? It's- I do not understand how this show just went so under the radar of mainstream pop culture like well, I think because season 2 was such a disappointment quite frankly I mean, it wasn't a bad piece of television by any stretch of imagination but it was two people in a bar in Los Angeles yeah, talking I, for most of it I gotta be honest with you like okay so season 1 was phenomenal mm-hmm. obviously yeah Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey yeah. were great yeah um, season 2 I remember being like hey you know what it's not season 1 but it's fine it's fine um, before the season three finale, um, I binge watched season one, season two, and season two. When you binge watch and you're getting ready for season three, it is just a dog show. By the way, yeah. there's going to be some spoilers here, so if you haven't listened, turn it off. We'll catch you back next week. You, you know? know what season two reminded me of? Actually, if I take the whole thing as a season of The Wire, for instance, right? Okay, yeah. so like the beginning was season one, great for the first like so five or six episodes, or, or like three or four episodes, or whatever. Um, you really invested in it. Season two was then those filler episodes where they concentrated on the non-characters for like you know a few of them. And See, then sort of like- well, now I'm, I'm going to dis. I like the wire analogy, mm-hmm. okay, and I agree. Season one, wire. Season one, True Detective. Fair enough. Well, I wasn't thinking season one. I was thinking more like kind of the season where Stringer Bell starts trying to get into politics and stuff, and then it ramps up okay. at the end. Yeah, because like, like, yeah. a lot of people hate season two of the wire, but because I've watched the seasons one through five through a dozen times, just because my favorite show ever, but. Season five was kind of the crap, and it, it pains me to say that because the journalism one—it's the one that we're all watching for, right? But and it it's the jumps crappy the one. shark so much yeah, really in that is. one, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of season two. It jumps the shark a lot, you know, these crazy shootouts on the street where they're the only three left standing and stuff like that. That was season two. Yeah, this guy's stupid, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there. That you know, and so obviously people lost interest, right, in yeah. True Detective. 
I had I because same thing happened to me. I was like, ah, y'all wait and see, you know, if it's any good. Wait to see if anybody's talking about Twitter, which you know usually you get some buzz, you get some feedback, something like that. Yeah. I hadn't heard a damn thing about the True Detective online or through any of my friends until Rob McKenzie Smith and the newsroom came up and he's just like, hey Tony, have you been watching you know True Detective? I was like. No, why? Is it any good? He's like, I've been waiting for somebody to watch it so I can talk to him about it. It's like, and so I was like, okay, I'll go. I went home that night, turn on, and it was, it was two. So I started watching two episodes. So the finale, so well, it was eight episodes, right? Yeah. So I started watching right before the premiere of season of uh, episode seven, and I just binge in a matter of two days, just right through. And I was just floored, floored by the acting of it, the the story, the writing of it, the storyline. I enjoyed it immensely. It yeah. was a fun show. And having binge-watched season one right before season three, because I remember loving season one. When I watched season one, I'm like, I felt like it was too much about families and stuff like that. Season three, again, there's going to be some spoilers here, but... The very last episode kind of brings it full circle about family, tightness, things like that. But where there was so much run up and then also uh, McConaughey's character, man, going back and watching it, I was like, I don't know, it's a little bit much. If I'm being honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit batshit. I, I don't know, man. Um, to the wow. point where Alice was watching it with me and we were kind of laughing at certain points. Like, Jesus Christ, McConaughey, you're killing me here. Yeah, you, yeah I mean, you are hamming up to the nth degree right here. No, I mean, it was amazing. And, like, you know, full credit to, to Mahashala Ali and to um, Stephen Dorff and to uh, Scoot Maneri as well. And yeah. the three, amazing. Just that one scene where they're older and um, Ali and, and, and Dorff kind of reunite for the first time. Yeah. And they're just sitting there and, like, the way their voices crack when they're doing... And they kind of, like, the way that hit that single tear starts yeah. running down his face. Oh, my God, it was just sublime. Yeah. And then I watched the... Um, so, you know, they have that kind of inside the story thing after the episode um, on HBO. And so I watched that and the guy was literally just like, yeah, I mean, I, I write this stuff and it's amazing. And they just took that and elevated it to a level of art that I could yeah. never dream possible. And that's exactly what I thought. That yeah. scene particularly has to win every award. Yeah. I, think I mean, Dorf was, his character was so good. You know, he was basically Woody Harrelson's kind of character mm. from season one. But I think he did it even better, I would argue. Um, and... Then Ali was just obviously show stealer. That voice is just, you know, just he's just got the best voice. So in the those whole threats world. about prison and rape when he delivers cracks. it as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You'll never be as gravelly yeah. and manly as that. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, and I just, I loved, I just loved everything about it. Particularly loved the fact that you know they telegraphed so much crap in it, like uh, the the journalist asking him about. You know, referencing season one and saying, you know, is this part of? Does anything yeah. suggest it was a vast, part yep. of a vast conspiracy? And the guy was just sitting there, and I could almost tell what he was thinking. Like, you know, when you're a detective, it's important not to be distracted by this stuff. And it was true. Like the whole way through, there was no grand conspiracy. It was just a very sad story of like yeah. loss and grief and mental illness and being unable to deal with it. And I loved the whole kind of um, you know, because the whole way through, like se season one was a horror show essentially mm -hmm. um you know season two was a tarantino film yeah. season three i thought was more of a stephen king book and the very best but he's at his very best in stephen king where he talks about how small towns in america can turn on themselves when there's a tragedy and become sort of animalistic and barbaric all the way through and the, the way they did but the way they sort of almost lynched that um native american chap um who went mental yeah. with the landmine and stuff 
And that was very Stephen King-esque, I thought, all the way through. And that's well, the kind of the unease and the dread all the way I'll through. I'll even take the Stephen King aspect a, a step further and say that there was a super... I maybe read a little bit too much into this, mm-hmm. this piece of it. But me and my buddy, um, we were chatting about this a week ago. And he thought the same thing. That one of my all-time favorite movies is Arrival. A lot of people didn't like it as much as I liked it, but it's one of my top five favorite movies of all time. And again, spoiler alert, but the idea of Arrival is that um, the main character, uh, Amy uh, Amy Adams, Adams, she basically sees the future, understands what's going to happen, and has to allow these events to happen, which is going to bring her a ton of suffering. Her daughter, uh, the ultimate suffering, the father, her marriage, everything. But all this has to happen in order for this uh, this signal to be cracked. And the aliens understand this as well. Um, the, the, there's another guy in it that uh, one of the signal guys, I can't remember his name from the movie right now, but he understands he's going to enter in and he just has dread on that last time entering in because he, he knows it's going to be his last time. Mm-hmm. So understand that all these things so time is a flat circle and everything has to uh, everything has to happen in order for uh, I'm not sure of the, the proper way to say the next part but in order for everything to happen everything has to happen in order for everything to happen wow that's deep um, <laughs> similar in this the dementia kind of a- angle the unspoken disease that he talks of in many ways I always felt that there was a tone of this time being a flat circle of these things have to happen. Hence why he sees himself at different points as an old person looking back or as a young person feeling the presence of his older self there. And that these events have to happen for this to lead up. Now that might be reading way too much into it for, you know, in arrival, they're trying to save humanity here. They're just solving a case. So it's it's a little bit different, but I did, I got that feeling, and it's why I just I really loved the writing of it. I didn't feel like the dementia piece was just this 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 hook just to make it more mysterious that they had to piece together you know piece together the puzzle. No, I, th- I think I think you're right about the mechanics. I maybe disagree slightly in the interpretation, and it's weird that I'm not taking the non-sci-fi side yeah, for, for a change. Yeah. But um, I think you're well, you're more the expert on sci-fi. So well, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> well no, I think you're. I, I think you know this isn't necessarily sci-fi. I think you're effectively right. This whole idea of time being a kind of um, uh, fluid rather than a constant um, but I, I take the interpretation differently I think because Purple Haze is the character throughout right I mean yeah. you know whereas the, the first season was about the first and second season were about two people this is really just about Purple sure. Haze um, and I think all the way through you know he goes through that whole thing never having to confront his, his past and his history and that's the reason why he fails each time uh, and he even says it at various points he goes like you know um, his wife goes why don't you what do you think about Vietnam? And so does the Native American guy. And he goes, I just don't think about it. Uh, and then eventually ends oh, up being... I should have read the way he's like, I should have read this book a long time ago. I should have read this book a long time ago. Exactly. And like, it just this inability and unwillingness to confront his past that goes through it. And that's why he can't see what's happening and going on. Then later on, you know, partly to solve the case and partly just because he realizes he's coming to the end of his life, um, at least kind of mentally, I guess, with his sundowning that happens when he sees yeah. his ghosts and everything. Um, he's realizing he has to confront these things, which is why you know the, the ghosts of dead Viet Cong soldiers appear in his room, and also a couple of like guys as well. I don't know if you notice that, like men in business suits with yeah. like, bullet holes in and that kind of thing. Um, so there's some. I love that little layer of sort of texture. There's another story to be told in that sphere, and why he goes into the jungle at the end because yeah. he's finally confronting 
the thing that he puts the very furthest back reach of his mind just as his mind shuts down and you know you see him kind of lose his mind um so yes time is circular in a way um but it's a very specific individual case rather than he's literally Uh, time traveling and seeing himself out the window that was just clever cinematography i think um you know he's just he's having to confront himself in order to solve the case and the big irony being when he finally does solve it at the end it's it's too late because he's refused to do it his whole life and you know Maybe his son goes and looks at Oxy Pockets, that piece of paper or whatever, at the end. But when he's drinking that glass of water and looking at her, and I like the, actually the, the writer's explanation that he doesn't recognise her. Yeah. And that it, that is just, he was just a few minutes too late because he refused to his whole life. And it led to the dissolution of his marriage and like his estrangement from his daughter and everything else. Sure. And, you know. But I love the fact that there was just a simple explanation for everything at yeah. the end of it. That was the most refreshing thing. And like, it post- wasn't overwritten. Yeah, maybe wasn't my overwritten. explanation was overwritten, but it wasn't overwritten. Well, no, I mean, the greatest TV bears analysis, right? Yeah. That's the whole point. Um, you know, and, and I think there is stuff to discuss there about the nature of kind of service and, and family and, um, mm-hmm. you know, small-town America and uh, racism and everything else that goes into it. But, um, yeah, I love the fact that, you know, it's very rare in post-9-11 television, which is now very gritty and very dark and very convoluted, that you actually just get a simple explanation for events. Yeah. And ultimately a happy ending as well. I yeah. mean, not for um, a couple of characters, but for the main characters, including the girl who was abducted. Yeah. Uh, you know, she had a happy ending in the yeah. end. Um, and so did Hayes at the end, and so did, uh, so did Roland as well. Um, and, yeah, it was just a, a solid piece of cine- like cinema really I guess and any way I can describe it I guess then to take two other things so there are, you might hear some people complain about because one it did have you know what you would call a happy ending and I think that that and like you said post 9-11 mm. nobody wants that anymore I want to have and like listen don't get me wrong I love a twisted f- ending as much as anybody sure yeah. um, but I just uh, for me I I was, I really... Are you I, writing down every time you swear? So curse, like, yeah, <laughs> just so I know where, where I can go through and uh, beep it out, yeah. You <laughs> Let me write that down. 30 minute mark, okay. There we go. Um, so, for me, I became so invested in these characters. Mm. It really would have, it would have pissed me off. Like, if it just had, like, you know, that season two ending, you know, of True Detective, something like that. Some dark, stupid, twisted, weird, he's in a basement being, you know, bludgeoned to death by some sexual, I don't I don't know, you know? Yeah. So for me, I like that. I think some people maybe were like, yeah, you know, I kind of wanted something a little bit grittier. Yeah, it's like, can't you just be happy? Can't you just, can't we just watch a damn show and just every now and again, not everything has to be a lead pipe over your head, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what I figured ruined season one of, you know, when he goes into Carcosa and he sees the portal and like, I mean, like, you know, does he see it? Is it yeah. just is it just Cole being crazy or whatever? Or yeah. has he been manipulated by events? I always thought they dropped the ball on that. They should have just had nothing there. Yeah. And the whole thing was just in the mind of this crazy paedophile the whole time. Yeah. And that's what they did in season three. Like yeah. it was, it was in the, wasn't just in the mind of, in fact, it was in the mind of everyone else apart from the people who actually did it. That's yeah. the thing. So it was in the mind of the journalist who wanted the big scoop to make a career. It was in the mind of, um, you know, Hayes who saw something bigger here that's been brushed under the rug when really it was just an aspirant DA's political ambitions yeah. that kind of swept it under there and a police chief who was racist and incompetent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was also his partner who failed to stand up for him and is too much of a patsy to, and liked the kind of trappings of wealth and promotion that he got at the end. I, th- I just thought it was absolutely superb. Um, yeah. The other thing, and to take this on a little bit of a political path, but the other complaint about it was, is the, uh, I forget the exact term that was thrown around, but the, the kind of this um, black, right, black and white 
reconciliation kind of movie mm. where you have a black character and a white character and their buddy and you know and the racial what, dynamics don't fun. That's why he won the Mahash Mahash so early one for. It's right? funny that you know the night of the finale was the night of the Oscars where the Green Book yeah uh, won best picture and Green Book was lampooned even before the Oscars quite frankly because I haven't seen it so I don't mm-hmm. I can't speak anything about that movie but if Ali's in it man that guy is, he's incredible I mean, so I'll, I'll watch I'm willing I'm, I'm going to watch definitely yeah. just for him uh, I'm a convert man that guy's awesome but um so everybody made fun of the fact you know why does Hollywood always fall for you know these you know black white you know buddy movies where they fight through segregation racism together you know stuff like that and i think because of the timing of green book and green book winning and this movie there was a little bit of backlash from people that just want to be woke and you know whatever i don't know what the hell just watch the show okay just can't you is it impossible for you to just watch a movie or a series just take your politics out just for a little bit mm. and just appreciate the writing of Nick Palazzo. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. I should really understand his name better. The writing uh, and the, the weaving together in expert form yeah. and then carried out by expert actors. Just appreciate it and just take your politics of the day and just turn it off for yeah, an hour a night. It's just exhausting, isn't it? It's, it really, yeah. like, like some of the... Re- I, the, the flood of stuff that came in, I was like, and listen, maybe it's true. Maybe Green Book was a stupid, you know, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't. But when I watch a movie, I just get rid of my politics. I don't ever get, oh, my God, I'm, how dare they say that about Ronald Reagan? Uh, like, yeah. I don't give a crap, man. Like, well, one of my all-time favorite shows, The West Wing, I am not a, a liberal. I'm not, you know, yeah. but I I love that show, and I can watch it all the time. Yeah, Season sure. one through four. Aaron, so, sort of, of course. course. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but this time I read some some bull- article Alfred saying, you know, we never knew it, but at its core, True Detective is all about conservative American values. And I'm just like, oh, guys, come on, come like on. you know, like Jesus Christ, is family a conservative American core value? Yes, but it's also a democratic one as well. Like, let's, just, <laughs> let's just not put this into our liberals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's not put this in our little boxes and try and categorize them yeah. and sort them out because my God, you are exhausting me. And it, it means really that is. people can't create stuff anymore because there's a backlash against it and everything else. It's, yeah, and then or shows that. That should get picked up, don't get picked up. Or I'm sure that there were people that weren't watch True Detective that they saw a little bit of inkling on this, that, of those kind of feedback, and that they're not going to go check. Ah, maybe do something. Just yeah. watch a movie. I watch don't want to watch a conservative TV show. Like, come on, it's like, you know? come yeah. on, man. Dirty Harry's still cool as yeah. hell, even though yeah, it's it's hardcore 1980s right wing yo stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome but movie. I bet man. you still like Clint Eastwood westerns, yeah. man. I mean, even though the guy talks to a yeah. chair on stage, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just nonsense. Uh, it's nuts. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got no time for it either. Like, I literally don't anymore. Anyone yeah. tries to bring that conversation up, I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'm gonna go get coffee. Yeah, See you later. Like, yeah. Yeah. Go t- you can worry about your part. I'm just gonna watch a TV show. I'm gonna enjoy it. And I'm all got a season four. Got it. They want to come back. I'd, absolutely, man. I'm oh, yeah. You should be watching this show. And listen, I'm not saying there is no room in TV politics. It absolutely is. Oh, 100%. But it's just everyone trying to put that hot take on it that I hate. Yeah, on every else. show that yeah, isn't yeah. where there's no politics involved in the show. Like, this yeah. wasn't a political show. This wasn't designed to. I mean, like, you know. <sighs> Some some TV is deliberately designed to provoke that reaction. Look yeah. at season three of Battlestar Galactica, for instance, the first couple of episodes. Bear in mind this took place during the Iraq War. 
um, they the main character and cast become suicide bombers because that was taking place during the so it won the Peabody Award for like yeah. kind of dramatic television thing. Deliberately designed to provoke a political comment, therefore fine. All the stuff that came afterwards. Season three, a true detective man. It's about like a missing girl, and yeah. like yes, there are some racial and elements they do to play it. And on the yeah, whole, yeah. uh, you know that, and clearly they play up on several times. They make jokes. They make yes. Can you not? Have you lost the ability to laugh anymore? Yeah. Is that just gone from everything? Has to just be like no. We can't. I can't have a laugh at that yeah. anymore. I cannot endorse this because they said one word that is just so. Cis het gender. What now I, I gotta write down what, what time you wrote yeah. that and said that again. Probably just blank out this whole last two Jesus. minutes. It's probably fine. Yeah, seriously, right, we're rambling now, yeah. so let's uh, let's, <laughs> anyway, put, yeah. let's put a pin in it. I love that we talk much more about True Detective than we did about Fi Boko or anything like that. It's because I'm not actually looking forward to Fi Boko. I've got a very busy couple of days ahead of me. You know what it was? It's just it was I think three weeks in a row of having guests and we haven't had a chance to vent. You know, so this was cathartic for us again. You know, to be able to come back and and hey, you guys have our blow by blow account of Game of Thrones coming up soon as well. Oh god. Also this week coming up Sunday. Billion. Returns. Oh, oh you should. Doggy. And actually, American Gods came out this week as well. I should watch that. American Gods. I don't know. I'm not familiar. It's on Stars. It's a, it's a Neil Gaiman book, but it's got a great cast. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have Stars. Um, yeah. Is it available on like Prime or? I think the first Netflix? season's now on Netflix or something. Okay. Yeah, the second season's airing now. Yeah, maybe I'll so. go check it out. It's worth it. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Billions. We gotta talk. Game of Thrones. Clearly. I've got to catch up with Billions. Yeah. So. And billions is uh, just. Oh God. It's. It's soap opera for anybody that likes Wall, Wall Street, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. Isn't it? so. uh, what scenes are now? Four? What is it? Or five? I want to say yeah, maybe five. I don't know. Yeah, five, yeah. It's, it's well in. Um, all right. Cool. Well, anyway. Please, uh, if you're down in Boca, chat up James about this. Feel free uh, over at Drinks at the Pool. Um, yep. Otherwise, I will be here in, at least it's in the 50 degrees, uh, here in New York. And... Uh, yeah, we will be back. I, I, we might, we'll figure out something probably for this Friday. Um, maybe we'll take a high, I don't know, I haven't figured it out yet what we're going to do yet for the episode 158. So you'll get it when we get it. Yeah. All right. Peace. Have a good week. See you later.